once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Who are you? Seems a simple question, but asked and re-asked, contemplated and meditated over, it can peel back the onion of our souls or leave us frustrated and confused. God already knows who we are, who we really are, and yet he still loved us enough to send us his son. Teaching team member Bob Cargo brings us this message entitled, Who Are You?, which covers Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Thank you for joining us today. You know, it's interesting to me to uh, see what people put on Instagram, especially what they put underneath their name and their picture. You know, a sentence, uh, a phrase, a few words. It reminds me of, you know, of a senior, you know, uh, portrait in a high school yearbook. And people have to, you know, here's my one phrase, my one sentence to capture who I am. I, I sort of sense sometimes people do that in, on Instagram. And I saw one the other day by a young man who's uh, college age, and it just made me laugh out loud. Here's what it said. Some men are Catholics. Others are Baptists. Me, I'm an Oldsmobile man. The takeoff from a line uh, of uh, the movie a Christmas story, but man, I laughed out loud when I saw it. I, I'm an Oldsmobile man. What's the point? The point is you got to know who you are, okay? You got to know who you are. And I'm not talking about whether you're Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic. I'm talking about something much deeper than that. Christian, who are you in Christ? Christian, who are you? That's what today's message is all about. I am 100% convinced, 100% convinced that all of us at one time or another who are followers of Jesus, and some of us most all the time have a distorted view of who we are. It's sort of like going to, you know, an old carnival and looking in those carnival mirrors. And you're tall and skinny, you're, or you're short and wide, and you don't look like you really do. You've got a distorted image of yourself in that crazy carnival mirror. Well, a lot of us, almost all the time, and some of us, at least some of the time, we have a distorted image of who we are. Today we're going to look at a passage in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians of Ephesus, the New Testament book of Ephesians, and he tells us about how we ought to view ourselves. And this is the way he begins it in in a sense in chapter 1 verse 18. In Ephesians 1 18 he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart enlightened. And then he proceeds to tell us who we are in Christ, whether we know it or not. And it does take the work of the Holy Spirit that we would see ourselves this way. In the Old Testament, there's a story about the prophet Elisha. And the story goes that the prophet Elisha and his servant were surrounded one night by the Arameans, who were the enemies of Israel. And that night, that next morning when they woke up, Elisha's prophet saw all these soldiers of the Arameans surrounding them, and he was so afraid. And he said to Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha said, don't be afraid. More are those who are with us than those who are with them. Now, the problem was that Elisha's servant looked around, and he didn't see anybody else with us, you know. He was thinking, Elisha, you're sort of crazy. It's just you and me. That's all. And they've got a whole army out there. And then Elisha prayed this. He said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. The Bible says that God opened his eyes and he saw horses and chariots and soldiers of fire surrounding them. It was the angels of God. Now in Ephesians 1, so to speak, 
Paul says, I pray that your eyes would be opened and that you would see not angelic beings, but that you would see who you really are. That you would see who you really are. You know, there's probably nothing in the world more important than who you think God is and who you think you are as a follower of the Lord through Jesus Christ. So Christian, when you look at yourself, what do you see? Who are you? My hope is at the end of this sermon, you will understand this, that you can find your joy in believing with all of your heart that God finds his joy in you. Let me say that again. That you'll find your joy in believing with all of your heart that God finds his joy in you. Let's start by looking at the first, really the first three verses of our passage today. Ephesians 1, 15 through 17. This is what Paul says. He says, for this reason, ever since I first heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may what? So that you may know him better. Here's one of the main things I want to say to you today, and it's this. Christianity is not essentially about knowledge, behavior, or participation in religious services. It's about knowing God. Knowing God, you may know him better. Yes, being a Christian does involve understanding and knowing certain things, certain truths. Being a follower of Jesus will lead to certain behaviors. Being a follower of Jesus means you'll gather with the people of God and worship, and that could be called a religious service. But Christianity is not essentially about any of those things. It is essentially about knowing God, not in a private way, but in a personal way, a relational way. He is your God. You're one of his people. Now, how did this come about that we could know God in this way? I loved it two weeks ago when Steve Brown was with us. I always love it when Steve's here. I love how Steve said, you know, I only talk about one thing. It's Jesus. I only preach about one message, and the message is Jesus. And today's sermon is no different from that. It's really about the work of Jesus and who we are because of Jesus. Let me give you some some background before we really get into our our passage. In the earlier part of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul makes it very clear. It's all about the work of Jesus and who we are in him. Look at Ephesians 1, 4. He says this, For the Father chose us in him, that is, in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. A gift of holiness, a gift of blamelessness. But where do we find it? In Christ. He says in Ephesians 1, 7, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Where do we find forgiveness? Where do we find redemption? That is freedom from sin and a chance to start over. We find it in Christ. Then Ephesians 1.13, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So Christianity is knowing God, and we know God the Father through the work of God the Son on our behalf. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Now, with that being said, by way of introduction, who are you Who am I in Christ? Let's read the main passage today. Ephesians 1, 17 through 23 from God's word. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, number one, the hope to which he has called you, two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people or the saints, and three, his incomparably great power for or toward us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is all true because Jesus is Lord. So, Christian, who are you? Three observations from today's message. Three observations from the text and from the passage today. First of all is this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ by repentance and faith, you are God's son or daughter. You are God's son or daughter. You'll see it here on the screen. You are called to become like and to be with your older brother, Jesus. Paul says here, I want you to understand the hope to which you're called. And what are you called to? You're called to be with. You're called to be like Jesus because you're God's son. You're called, you're God's daughter. Let me illustrate and then explain it. I grew up as the younger son of a household with two brothers. Four years older my brother uh, is than me. And when I was a little kid, I idolized my older brother. Where he wanted to go, I wanted to go. There was a period for a few months when we were kids that I followed him everywhere he went. I drove him crazy. If he went in the front yard, I went in the front yard. If we went in the backyard, I went in the backyard. I drove him crazy because I wanted to be where he was. And I wanted to be like him too. Whatever hobby he was into, I was going to be into because I wanted to be like him. Remember when I was first grade, he was fifth grade, we moved to a new neighborhood. In fact, the Popes lived just right up the street from us in that new neighborhood. And we were brand new in that neighborhood. My dad was at work one day. My mom went off to run some errands, and she told my older brother and me, now you can play in the front yard, but do not leave the front yard. Well, we were playing in the front yard, and this kid came walking by about our age, and he said, hey, I live over the hill and and down the street a little bit and on the other side of the street, and we have a swimming pool, and we have a treehouse, And we have a creek in the backyard, and on the other side of the creek, we have a barn with horses. Do you think we stayed in the front yard? No way. He said, come on down and play. And so we did. And we had a great time. In fact, we had a great time until the sun started going down. And then we realized, oh yeah, we probably ought to go home. And so I can still remember it to this day as we were walking down the street in the direction of our house, we saw our mother driving in the car toward us, and she was not happy. It it took a lot for my mother not to be happy, and she was not happy. When we got home, my dad was waiting there to administer the results of our disobedience. And I can still remember in vain trying to tell my dad, it was my brother's idea. I was willing to get in trouble because I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be with him. The Bible says that our destiny as sons and daughters of the king is that we're going to be like our big brother and forever we're going to be with our big brother. 
Romans 8, 29, it says that God has predestined that those of us who have trusted in Jesus will be conformed to the image of his son. That's our destiny. In character, in love, in holiness, we're going to be like Jesus. 1 John 3, 2 says the same thing. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, that is when he returns and we see him, we will be like him, for we'll see him as he is. We're going to be like him in character and love and holiness. Not only that, Revelation 21 says that we're going to be with him forever. Here is John's vision after Jesus returns. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Believer, who are you? Look at the scriptures and see the truth. Not a distorted view, a true view. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. And he is destining you one day to be like Jesus and to be with Jesus forever. Wow, that's amazing. The second thing that this passage tells us is not only are we God's sons and daughters by faith. Secondly, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are God's inheritance. You're God's inheritance. He sees himself as rich because of you. Paul says in this passage, I want you to see the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now imagine if you were to inherit a billion dollars, B, a billion dollars. Man, you would be excited, wouldn't you? And if you had a billion dollars, I wonder what your most prized possession would be. Many years ago, I remember seeing an, an episode or an evening of viewing of the show 60 Minutes. And there was an interview with a man who was a billionaire at that time. Every year gave away millions of dollars. I remember wondering to myself, if he's a billionaire, I wonder what his most prized possession is. Well, the Bible tells us an amazing thing. It says that we are God's most prized possession. He views us as his inheritance. He loves us that much. Absolutely amazing. In fact, in the Bible, there is a whole theology of inheritance theology where sometimes the word portion is used, like a portion of an inheritance. And there are two parts of it. One part is that the Lord is our portion and our inheritance. We value him the most. We find our joy in him. He's our inheritance. He's our portion. But there's the other side of this inheritance theology is even more amazing to me, and that is that we are the Lord's portion. We are the Lord's inheritance. God counts himself as rich because we are his, and he loves us that much. One of the earliest, earliest stories of giving us this uh, inheritance theology is from Exodus 32 through 34. Let me tell you the story. Moses has gone up onto Mount Sinai to receive the law from God, and he stays up there a really, really, really long time. So long, in fact, that the people of Israel become restless. And they start saying, who is this fellow Moses? And where has he gone? And who is his God? Here, we need to make a God for ourselves. And so they, they make a golden calf and they start worshiping the golden calf. 
Well, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai carrying the Ten Commandments that have been chiseled into these two tablets, and he sees the people of Israel worshiping this golden calf. And he loses it, totally loses it, becomes angry, throws the Ten Commandments down, breaks them into pieces, rebukes the people. Sounds like, you know, he could have used a course on anger management or something. He totally went, went ballistic. But after he rebukes the people, he goes into the tent of meeting where he would meet with the Lord, and there he has it out with God. He says, God, I'm so tired of these people. I'm so frustrated with these people. But he intercedes for them. And God has mercy. God has mercy and forgives them. And then he sends Moses back up on Mount Sinai again to chisel out the Ten Commandments again. This time, it's an overnight project. So Moses pulls an all-nighter. You know, lots of espresso, music to keep him awake, all that stuff. Pulls an all-nighter. He chisels out the Ten Commandments again. And while he's still up on the mountain, he starts to pray. And this is what happens. We see it in Exodus 34. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. And he said, Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Take us as your inheritance. Believer, you are the Lord's inheritance. He sees himself as rich because of That's what Paul says there. I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened that you would know how rich God counts himself to be because the people of God, you and I, we are his inheritance. Two questions I want to ask you to tell you how this relates to everyday life. The first question is this. What kind of self-talk do you have these days? Deep in your heart of hearts, what are you saying to yourself about yourself? It often really comes through as feelings and emotions, sometimes as actual thoughts. But usually the self-talk is deep down inside and very silent. But is your self-talk something like this? I'm worthless. I'm unloved. I'm a failure. I have no security of my future. I have huge regret over my past. I'm on the outside. My friend, what kind of self-talk do you give to yourself? None of those things are true if you belong to the Lord. You need to tell yourself, no, I am God's son. I am God's daughter. I am God's inheritance. I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. Second question is this. How do we treat one another? How do you treat the other people of God? When you're standing in front of someone who is a follower of Jesus, you are standing in front of someone who is the inheritance of the Lord that he highly prizes. You're standing in front of a son or a daughter. How do we treat one another? How do we treat? With respect, with appreciation, with grace. We ought to say to ourselves when we're in the presence of another believer, this is part of God's inheritance. This is God's daughter. This is God's son. These believers look different from me. They act different from me, but they belong to the Lord. And if the Lord loves them, I need to love them. If the Lord gives them grace, I need to give them grace. If the Lord treasures them, I need to treasure them. How do we treat one another? Leaving this stuff in your heart, it changes everything. You are the Lord's son or daughter. You are the Lord's inheritance. The third thing that we see in this passage is this. In Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, it says, you are an exhibit of God's power. 
You're an exhibit of God's power. His mighty strength and his divine omnipotence have been demonstrated in you so that the spiritual forces of the universe are in all the Lord because of you. It's amazing. Paul says here, I want you to know the incomparably great power of God toward us who believe. Again, let me illustrate and then let me explain. For two years of my life, uh, following my three years in Chicago, I lived in Oxford, Mississippi, the home of Ole Miss. That's where I met Margaret Ann. The time that I lived in Oxford, outside of Oxford, there was out in the middle of the boonies, in the middle of the woods, a steakhouse. A really good steak. And it was in the middle of nowhere, but it was always packed. There was always a wait. They had a little bitty room, not even as big as uh, half of this stage or a quarter of this stage, and that small room was the waiting area, and lining all the walls in that waiting area were athletic trophies. Now, what is an athletic trophy? An athletic trophy is an exhibit of someone's power and skill. The Lord says that you and I are trophies of his power, trophies of his grace, trophies of his saving skill. And not only a trophy, we're actually examples of his power. Imagine being in a gym and imagine seeing a man lift more weight than you've ever seen anybody else lift in your whole life. This guy is amazingly big and amazingly strong. And he takes some weights and he begins to work the power of his strength. And in a sense, he is saying to those around him, you know how it is in a gym, you know what's going on. He is saying, let me exhibit the power of my strength. Let me show you what I can do. Well, the Bible says that that is what God has done in saving you and me. He has exhibited for all the universe to see how powerful he is. Look at the verses. Look, follow with me at Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. He says, I want you to see his incomparably, incomparably great power toward us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And when he seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let me stop to say what an amazing exhibit of God's power it was when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him as Lord of all. What amazing power. The Bible says in this passage, that's the same power, the very same power that God used when he brought me from spiritual death to spiritual life and you from spiritual death to spiritual life. You see here, starting in about verse 18 or 19, all the way through verse 5 of chapter 2, it's one big run-on sentence. In chapter 2, verse 1, this is what it says. But as for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, and God made you alive together in Christ. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. So if I could paraphrase here, Paul is saying, the very same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the very same power of God that made Jesus Lord of all, that same power was needed and was used when you went from spiritual death to spiritual life. It took that much power when God made you alive spiritually. 
You see, when we go from unbelief to belief, we go from death to life. The Bible says that what happens when we're converted, this is so amazing, we become an exhibit of his power, and he, in a sense, marches us around the universe, so to speak, and presents us in front of angels and demons and says, I want you to see how powerful I am. This is an example of my power. And the angels of heaven and the demons from below are in awe that God could and would do that. Like God said, you see this sinner, Bob Cargo? He was as dead as dead could be spiritually. And then my power made him alive. Look how powerful I am. My friends, your conversion is no little thing. The fact that you are following Jesus is no little thing. You are an exhibit of the power of God. And he is exerting that power for you, to bless you, and to give you his love. To give you his love. Why does this take place? The Bible says it right here. Because he is great in mercy and because he is rich in love. That's why we have this happening in our lives. You know, in my home, and especially in my home office, I have a lot of pictures. A lot of pictures of my children, pictures of my wife. In my church office, I have a picture of my wife, a terrific picture of my wife, right next to my telephone. On my desk, I have a picture of my sons. On my credenza, I have pictures of my daughters. And why do I do that? Because they're objects of my affection and they're sources of my joy. As hard as it is to grasp, believer, you are an object of God's affection. And you are a source of his joy. He loves you that much. The implication is that now you can find your joy in him. Does this really make a difference in everyday life? You bet it does. You bet it does. I love the quote from C.S. Lewis. He put it this way. God does not love us because we are good. He makes us good because he loves us. Let me say it again. God does not love us because we are good. He makes us good because he loves us. And the rest of the book of Ephesians tells us the implications and the life change when we understand that we are this secure in the love of God. When you rest this securely in knowing that God has loved you like this, that he has saved you like this, that he protects you like this, when you have that kind of security, the book of Ephesians says, then we can love each other despite our racial differences. We can love each other despite our socioeconomic differences. We can love each other because we've been loved. We can be kind to one another and compassionate to one another. We can forgive each other because we've been forgiven. The book of Ephesians says we can seek and live lives of sexual purity because the love of God fills the emptiness of our hearts. Because the love of God fills our hearts. Husbands can love their wives. and Wives can respect their husbands. And fathers can teach and lead and love their children. And children can honor their fathers and their mothers. And all this stuff that seems sometimes so impossible is made possible because of the unbelievable, transforming power of God and the love of God. Believe that you were loved. Rest securely in the gospel of his love. and That security, my friends, can change your life. You are God's son or daughter. You are God's inheritance. You're an exhibit of God's power.
Let me close with a story that pulls it all together. How could this be accomplished? How could it be the case? Stick with me. In John chapter 4, there's a story of Jesus and his disciples going through Samaria. So the Samaritans are people that are half Jew and half Gentile. And as they go through Samaria, they stop at a well. And they stop at the well, and then the rest of the disciples, or all the disciples, go into town to get food. And Jesus hangs out at the well. And while Jesus is hanging out at the well, a lady comes to draw water. And shall we just say, she's the kind of person that most at that time would have thought that she's beyond the love of God. But Jesus talks with her, and he gives her the grace of God and the love of God, and she believes in him as Messiah. Well, she believes, she returns to the town, and then the disciples come back to rejoin Jesus. And Jesus is so stoked. He is so excited about the conversion of this lady. He's not even hungry. He doesn't even want anything to eat. And the disciples start talking to one another, and they say, did somebody else bring him food? And Jesus overhears that. And Jesus says, nope, nobody brought me food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. We could say my portion, my inheritance, is to do the will of him who sent me. And what is that will? That he would die on the cross for us. That's the will. That's the will of God. And here's the good news today, my friends. We become God's inheritance because Jesus inherited the wrath of God for us. We become sons and daughters of the Lord. Because on the cross, Jesus was treated as an orphan and an outlaw and an outcast. We become exhibits of God's power because Jesus emptied himself of all of his divine power and he allowed himself to be nailed on a cross. And it is the work of the cross of Christ that makes us this loved individual, this loved body of believers. It's the work of the cross. You're here today as a seeker. I hope today you will believe in the cross. You'll trust in the cross of Jesus Christ and you'll trust in the love of God to change your life. You could pray a prayer saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me, change me, make me the kind of person you want me to be. And if you're here today as a believer, I want you to connect the dots between your unbelief and your disobedience. Connect the dots between your unbelief and your disobedience. As Ryan Johnson said last week, gospel behavior flows from gospel belief. If you really believe this to be true, it will change your heart. If you really believe this to be true, deep down inside, you'll be free to overcome racial hatred. You'll be free to love people who are different from you. You'll be free from socioeconomic pride. You'll be free to forgive, to be compassionate, to be caring, You'll be free to share the gospel of Jesus. You'll be free to love your husband, to love your wife, to love your children. You'll be free to be what God wants you to be because that kind of love changes you. Many years ago when I previously preached on this passage, I wrote a prayer. You'll see it on the screen and it's also in your bulletin for you to take home. And this is what it says. Follow with me. Lord, I do not wish to live my life as if spiritual realities were only a dream. I ask you for the privilege of walking with Jesus and not merely working for Jesus. I ask you that I might see and believe in spiritual realities. Lord, enable me to run with my head up that I might see you even more clearly than I see the road ahead. Enable me to see with the eyes of my heart to gaze at life through the binoculars of faith, hope, and love so that spiritual realities and truths which once seemed so far away 
will appear to me close, comforting, and tokens of your care for me. Thank you, O Father, that you're in the process of conforming me into the likeness of my older brother, Jesus. That you love me too much to leave me as you found me. I look forward to seeing you and him one day face to face. Thank you, O Jesus, that you purchased me with your blood and presented me to the Father with joy. I'm bewildered by his enthusiasm that I'm his, but I'm grateful. Thank you, O Holy Spirit, that when I was dead in my sins, you displayed your omnipotent power, that same power that created the universe and raised Jesus from the dead, and you made me alive, creating in me a new heart and breathing into my spirit the breath of eternal life. Lord God, I do not know why you would find your joy in me, but I now choose to find my joy in you. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are absolutely amazed at that. We are blown away that this could be true, that you could love us like this, that you could give us this kind of grace and mercy, that you could pour out upon us this kind of power. Lord, we ask you that you would enlighten our hearts and that these truths in the gospel and the work of Christ behind these truths would indeed transform us. Lord, we now thank you that just as we've alluded to the experience of our Savior on the cross, we thank you, O Jesus, that you inherited the wrath of God for us, that we might be the inheritance of the Father. We thank you that you became an outcast and an outlaw and an orphan for us, that we might be sons and daughters. We thank you that you emptied yourself of all power so that we could be exhibits of the power of the Father. Lord, we ask you now that you would Bring the benefits of the cross to our hearts. May we breathe in and celebrate our forgiveness and our freedom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.